the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, it's Matt Browning. Welcome back to an interview episode of the podcast, of the radio show, of wherever you're listening to this. Uh, you can call it whatever it is, honestly. So welcome back. Uh, this week, this week, I have a really cool conversation I want to share with you. This is another one that I recorded a couple of months ago. This is different, though. This is with a friend of mine that I've known for, gosh, probably 10 years. We went through a ton of personal development, a lot of Tony Robbins seminars, and you know we volunteered together. So I've, I've known him for quite a long time. Back when you know I, I still had maybe a little more than ten years, I still had a foot in real estate. He was doing other work, and it was really cool. Just you know, through the the miracle of social media, we've stayed connected. And I watched in the last years, he's launched a new podcast. It's called the Everyday Fighter, and my friend's name is Philip Lomboy. This is very cool. Uh, I, I'm calling this episode Everyday Fighter: Marketing Meets Martial Arts. So we share, uh, you know, a ton of we just obviously catch up and everything, but we're gonna share. Uh, you know, some of his growing up with really strong cultural roots, you know, being Filipino and how family can influence what they would predict as your career. Essentially, you know, that you have to wear something that that has scrubs. As long as you're wearing scrubs for a career, mom and dad are happy. So we talk about what was expected of him. So if you relate, you know, maybe having a cultural background that's real strong uh, from parents and family, I think you'll, you'll really enjoy that story and, and his take on how he broke out of the mold. And he went into a career in marketing and worked with companies like ADP and some really large uh, national uh, corporations. And from there, he continued doing that. Uh, we talk about uh, what he calls his career in porn. Now, he didn't actually have a career in porn, but it was nutso. He got a marketing job really, really young. And he talks about how uh, how he learned online marketing from uh some not great spots, but then eventually, very quickly, he said, I got I don't want to be in this area. I don't want to be in this industry, but I do want to apply what I learned. So we talk about that and uh, unexpected, but my goodness, you know, online marketing is online marketing as far as the structures go, as far as the, uh, the systems go, you know, um, the psychology almost. So he took the application and began doing online marketing for other products, services that are um, more above board, shall we say. Philip is, again, uh, he's a strong martial artist. He's a dad. We talk about his family. And then we talk about what Everyday Fighter is. You know, it's, uh, it's a really cool trending podcast. You got to check it out. It's, you know, he says it's in the ring, on the mat, in our lives. Everyone is fighting something. Discover the wisdom of everyday fighters just like you and learn winning strategies from experts both inside and outside the ring. So he interviews martial arts experts as well as everyday fighters. So he doesn't have anything to give you, anything to offer you, anything to sell you, but he is looking for stories. He's looking for stories from real people just like you. So if you're a real person and you have uh, something you've fought through, something you're fighting for, fighting against uh, in your life, what that is, you know, wh whether it's in, in parenting or in your health or in business or spirituality, he'll want to know about it. So uh, DM him or email him. And yeah, man, so that's going to be awesome. Listen to it. Check it out. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy the interview with my friend, Philip Lomboy. So here we are. I am so <laughs> blessed uh, to be having this conversation with you. And 
when I, when I saw your face and your feeds and your podcast and everything you're up to with Everyday Fighter coming up on social media, um, I've always been following you to an extent, even though we haven't you know, been on the phone and seen each other for the last I mean, 10 years. But I remember you know, when we first met in the Tony Robbins days, this was back in like 2005, 2006, um, going to date with Destiny and doing all the different programs. I have always, I just had, you're an awesome person. I remember you being just super positive and you're just a really, really genuine human being to be around. So um, as soon as I saw you, what you were up to with Everyday Fighter, I was like, I got to get this guy in the podcast. So Philip Lomboy, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm awesome, man. Thank you. That's uh, well, I, I appreciate your words, man. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome, I suppose. You are welcome. <laughs> so um, I'd like to start at the beginning a little bit, um, and sure. we'll get into what you're up to today. Um, so you live in San Dimas, um, married, kids. What's your family like right now? Yeah, I've got uh, a wife. I've got four kids, four girls. Is that all? That's it. Well, and then two dogs, also female. Two rabbits, also female. <laughs> I was so, just going to ask the dog. There you go, Matt. Female. There you go. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. And how long have you been married? Uh, since, um, actually since oh, uh, 07. You got engaged. 07. Yeah. Yeah. But we were together for a long time prior. So, um, yeah, like uh, eight years before that. So, oh, so you're, I mean, coming up on 20 years together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. We were just reflecting on that the other day. <laughs> and I, I told her, I said, uh, you've had me in your life more than you haven't now. <laughs> wow. I was going to ask how old you are, but you know, it's always tough because you have that really, really youthful Asian gene. If anyone's oh, yeah. like, this, like, feel, like you, you're going to be a hundred years old and you look like you're 22. <laughs> God willing, man. Yeah. My, my parents are just like that. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to tell that the, they are the age that they are. So. Hopefully that that uh, that doesn't skip a generation. That's so cool. So how far apart are the kids? Kids, uh, I've got an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, three, and a newborn. Now, actually, she's just a couple months old. Not even. All right. So let me do this in chronological order. So ten, yeah. eight, mm -hmm. three, mm -hmm. and newborn. Yes. Just just to ask, I'm always so curious with the kids. Did you think you were going to have four from the beginning, or did you oh, think? No. Was this no, like no, the no. two is perfect and then, well, two more? Yeah, well, that was what it was. Two was great. And then and, um, my wife was, uh, Diana said, oh, maybe we could have another one. You know, she, and, you know, she kind of just barely had that thought. And then we were pregnant again. <laughs> and then the fourth one, um, she was absolutely not in in our thought at all <laughs> it just she she said hey i think you just need another one so i was like okay we'll, we'll take you you know <laughs> yeah absolutely and i'm sure it's the best thing you ever did yeah she's awesome it's yeah. so great just to see you know i thought i knew it would be the, that would be the case with uh, the two older ones um like how they interact with the newborn because we saw how she uh, they interacted with uh, the three-year-old but the three-year-old she was a surprise in terms of how she's treating the uh, the newborn because I thought she'd be much more selfish. Um, just baby. more about yeah, trying you want to be coddled more, be more um, more jealous of the baby, and that's not the case at all. It's great. She's always wow. want to kiss up on her, always want to you know just like play with her, hold her, and yeah, it was awesome, man. It was a great surprise. That's amazing. I wonder if yeah. that has anything to do with like the four girls and watching the sisters behave that way. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, you know, it's like, um, you, you just, uh, you hope for the best. And like I said, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to go this way because, you know, just knowing how she was uh, before the baby came and 
again, it was a, just a pleasant surprise. I will absolutely take it. <laughs> love that. Love that. Now you, you're in San Dimas. Did you grow up in Southern California? No, no. My, uh, my dad was in the uh, uh, U.S. Air Force, so we moved around quite a bit. Uh, I moved here after college um, in, um, in 98. So you moved here in 98. So tell me, yeah. so your dad was in the air force. So would yeah. you, you were a military kid. I was military and brat. Military brat was, I wasn't going to say, it. I'll leave that to yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that your whole childhood or did, did he go in to at a certain age? Like when you were a certain age or did you- no, no. I mean, he was already in the air force when, when I was born, uh, we didn't start moving around until I was about two or three years old. So, oh, so you had uh, plenty of time to hang out at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was born in the Philippines and then um you know, you know, both my parents are Filipino and then we just started moving around uh, from there. So I'll I'll go through the list. I'll go through uh, born in the Philippines, moved to Montana, Arizona, Germany, um Mississippi, uh see, New Mexico, Italy, Germany, Florida. I went to New York State my parents went back to Germany and uh, wow. they've been there for almost uh, the whole time since, uh, since then. <laughs> so, so you're, so that, and that was basically a list of you going all through grade school and high school and then yeah. you went to New York for college. Uh, yep. 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 So, so it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, you know, uh, the longest we ever stayed in one place was four years. The shortest was six months. Wow. So I yeah. counted eight or nine places on my fingers as you were listing those off. Yeah. How, what was that like for you? How do you feel like moving that often? Did it did it build something in you? Like did it develop certain character traits in you, or was it something that you wish you you didn't do? What was the experience like as a kid growing up in that environment? It was, um, I mean, it it was just life. That was just the bottom line. Especially starting to move around when I was so young. Um, I you know I, I mostly it was it's my family around. Um, it wasn't until I started having closer relationships with friends in school, particularly in places where, uh, like in the States, in, in, when we were overseas, everyone was in the same boat, right? We just knew that, hey, we're not going to be friends anymore after two or three years. Never talked about it, but we just knew that there wasn't that permanence there. So um, it wasn't as hard in those situations. But then when we lived in places where people had deeper roots, um, and seeing what, you know, how, what they talked about. Oh, yeah, my grandparents, all my family is here, and we've lived here forever. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted that life that they're talking about. It's just that now I knew there was something different. Right. And so especially when I wanted to have those relationships, well. uh, I, I wanted to have those relationships, like, stronger. Um, it was, um, it, it made it more difficult when I realized that, so. And how, did you take that then as you became, you know, you grew up and you eventually, of course, meet your wife and so forth. Do you consciously think, hey, for our kids, I'm, I'm setting roots down? Or did you think, hey, we're going to travel and be international? Or is that not something that you really focus on? Didn't really focus on it. I, I had it in me for the longest time, even like when I got to college. I, there was a point where I thought, wow. In my junior year, I think it's time for me to transfer. <laughs> you know, it was just that ingrained in me, kind of like there was a there was a clock in my in my body already, and I, I carried a lot of that through even like living. You know, after I got out here, um, of you know, wouldn't necessarily settle down here per se, but uh, you know, that's how it just ended up being. My my wife's family, most of them are all here, and 
and we just enjoy being around them, enjoy, enjoy being definitely in Southern California. So it wasn't a conscious decision to say, yes, absolutely, we're setting up roots in one particular place as opposed to moving around. Uh, it just happened that way. And um, the thing is, I don't think we're, uh, we're not opposed to moving to different places. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing um, there. But um, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't like a real you know, conscious, oh, thank God we can stay in one place now. I don't have to endure what I did growing up and I don't want my kids to have it endure that kind of a thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think that gave you? Like if, if you looked back and thought, man, whether you liked it or didn't like it or liked certain parts and didn't like certain parts, what, what's some character attributes or characteristics that you had to grow into or you had to adopt in yourself that you're happy that you did as a result of being the military brat, as you said? Well, I think any of those things are, I mean, it's, they're kind of double-edged swords, you know, any kind sure. of character traits you have from one extreme to the next. Um, I remember in interviews, like job interviews, that was one of the questions they'd ask a lot. It's like, you know, what, are, what what's one word that you'd use to describe yourself? What's your uh, biggest strength? And I'd always say flexibility because that was something that I had to cultivate, you know, growing up. There's no choice about it, right? You're, no you're, choice you're, at all you're pulled out from somewhere you've, you've, you've known for two or three years. Um, and okay, now you're somewhere completely foreign aside from your family, aside from maybe, you know, the other, like we're on a military base. I was like a little piece of America, but then when we're not on the base, then it's like completely different culture, different languages, you know, maybe, uh, you know, driving very differently <laughs> as well. So got to, had to learn how to, um, adapt to that. You know, so yeah, I've absolutely had to uh, to be uh, become flexible. Um, do, you, do you think there's a a character strength that you've learned as far as in relationships or with other people? So I ask because I think, like you know, we're not we're not a military family, but we've actually, for spiritual reasons, we've moved quite a bit as of lately. We just moved as I was talking before we hit record across the country um, to help serve our church. So I think about my son; he's in second grade. And he's kind of already living a military brat lifestyle. He's been to six schools up through second grade, right? Mm. Three, three different preschools, different kindergarten, different first grade, now different second grade. And I don't know what the rest of <laughs> his school is going to look like, but I wonder if, you know, I went to the same school or school system from K through 12. Mm. And I wonder if, you know, that was me, right? My parents still live in the same house that I was, we moved into when I was a baby. But then for Val, he's had a different house almost every year. Um, so I just wonder... What, what is that going to be like as far as relationships, friendships? He meets people. He seems like he meets people pretty well, but then also mm. I know he, there's got to be some sadness in like making a friend and then leaving a friend. Um, what's the positive for relationships and what's the negative in your view of having that kind of transient type lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, the positive is, and this is not, uh, I mean, it's something that I learned that uh, has been useful for me. Uh, even in business is being able to just strike up a conversation, being able to find some common ground uh, with other people. Cause I had no choice. If I wanted to have interactions outside of my family, outside of my siblings, I had to go up to people and talk to them, <laughs> you no know, choice. no choice, no choice. And like, you know, uh, find a way to be able to, to get in. Um, you know, everyone's got their own clicks and everything. And I'm the new guy admit, you know, I've been in those shoes, uh, the, had that pair of shoes on a lot. It's like, okay, well now it's time to kind of buck up. Now, one thing with that though, is that that's not, I'm not an, I'm not an extroverted kind of person. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly introverted, but, um, 
so I need to, you know, when I need to, uh, I need to recharge, I'm alone in my room somewhere, <laughs> you know, gotcha. no, I'm not going out. So it definitely, it definitely, um, caused stress in me to learning and cultivating that aspect of my personality. Um, so that, but it, you know, so it had uh, its stressful times. It had its, uh, you know, its uh, pluses as well. You know, um, just moving around as far as like, you know, for uh, my uh, as far as being a kid, going going through all that, and you know, the the impressions that I had. Again, like at that age, I think you know, at the time that um, like when I was in second grade, it just it, it was what it was. You know, I didn't have enough experience in me to know whether it was a. a bad or a good thing it just it's just just what it was you know I think back about that um, with uh, my parents and money I mean it wasn't until I got to college that I knew how quote-unquote little we made uh, because that's when we had you know I had my financial aid and you know you know how to get their tax returns and that type of thing and I'm looking I'm like oh my god really because I never felt work and figuring out like this yeah. is what adults do and this these adults who are my parents do not make a ton. Yeah, and I but and I'll tell you what though, uh, Matt, I never felt poor growing up. I never felt like that's mm. all they made, you know. So it's it's interesting um, for children, as I, I think, going through. You know, it's it's hard to figure out what's what's going on in there. I will say that um, I'm sure. Uh, I think you're probably. I'm just guessing. You probably get be much more open and um, and interested in your 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 where your child is coming from compared to my parents because no, we no, didn't i mean not very, that my parents were closed off not a big fan <laughs> yeah <laughs> well my parents they didn't i mean they had their own things they were going through they didn't have this uh they didn't have a, um like the same kind of closeness or approach in, to parenting that say even my, me and my wife have with our kids as far as trying to keep those open lines of communication and expressing feelings and that type of stuff Sure. Well, so, and, and different time, different, different time and different culture, I would assume. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that plays a whole lot of it. And like, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't hold any ill will or like deep seated, you know, negativity towards them for it. It, it is what it, it was. Right. But, you know, to your point, it's like, yeah, it's a, a it's a different time, different culture. And, um, you know, I survived through it just like many people survive a lot of things in their life, you know, so. Now, from from there, you you went to school and you went into corporate sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Did you did you do sales because you liked sales? You were good at sales, or was that a default? And then the follow up question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like yeah. as you were going through school, what did you think you were going to do or be? And and what was that story? Oh God, I mean, I'll take that one first. I didn't know what I wanted to be. Quite frankly, I was just I was just enjoying what I was doing. I mean. Um, I was very good in school uh, as far as uh, math and science was, uh, was concerned. So I thought I would just be going down that route, uh, getting into engineering and stuff. And then, you know, just like any good Asian boy or whatever, be a doctor or be an engineer or something like those lines. Um, wait, 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 hang on. Not to be too cultural, but you're a Filipino. So wouldn't you, aren't you supposed to be a uh, physical therapist? Yeah, something like that. Is something it, that wears that scrubs. <laughs> Anything with scrubs. Anything then, with scrubs. Yeah, yeah you'll get it. Radiation tech. Yeah. Radiation tech. They say all that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so the stories are true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's you so funny. Yeah. Everyone, yeah especially here in Southern California. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with, with that background, they're always like, no, no, mom and dad are so proud of your 
a, a nurse or a physical therapist or a radiation technician, like that's what you're, that's the, the top echelon, right? That's the oh, whole. Yeah. So yeah. when you went into sales, marketing, mm -hmm. did your parents, were they like, what are you doing? Or did they no. understand? Were they no. supportive? No, I mean, they didn't really have a say at that point anymore because like, I, I went, left, uh, went off to college and, um, you know, I was going to be an engineer. Uh, I mean, and I didn't even know what that meant. I just, just, I just knew the word engineer. And then I started taking more science classes and like, it was, I didn't even get to the point of like declaring, uh, my major. I just like, Oh my gosh, this is so much harder than it was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to go a different route. And I ended up, uh, graduating with, uh, with a degree in religious studies and, um, you know, minors in psych and philosophy. So, um, it was already by the time I graduated, they already had that they already had that thought in their head of like, well, I guess it's not going to go that, that way. But you know what? They never really, they were never really pushy in that sense. Anyway, they're always very supportive of, of what I wanted to do. So it wasn't such that you have to have the scrubs on or you have to, you know, go this way or that way. Um, they're just very concerned that, um, you know, I, I do, I just follow, I just follow my, my gut, you know? So I, I think I was very lucky in, in that sense compared to some of my other friends. Oh, I, I would think so too. I, I know quite a few people that if they came home, even as a young adult with a philosophy major <laughs> or minor, that their parents would go, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. So yeah. What, how long did you work in corporate sales uh, and I was marketing? The, was yeah, that well, always was, for companies or did you do that on your own as well? No. Well, you know, I'd always had a bit of a um, kind of an entrepreneurial streak in me as well. So, you know, that started off doing uh, kind of like affiliate marketing and, you know, doing stuff online for, uh, for friends and family, you know, setting up websites and that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, as far as my, my corporate gig, it was like, um, it was uh, sales and, and, and consulting. So uh, whether I was the salesperson or kind of like the, the technical sales engineer, as they call it, um, the technical side of the sale, um, that's just what I fell into. I, I did tr a corporate training for a, a year or two. And then I ended up finding like my, a, a, like kind of like my uh, bigger uh, gig in, in, in sales um, from there. So um, what's a bigger gig in sales? What is that? Like, like at the time when I was doing, when I was doing uh, like corporate training, it was like a small company. But then when I, uh, when I got into corporate sales, it was like a huge, huge company. It was like, it was like the largest payroll HR company, you know, in, in the States. So that was kind of, an, that was an interesting switch from us being in a, a small company, you know, maybe 30 people to like, you know, 30,000 people. Wow. Now is, is that ADP or paychecks? That's ADP. ADP. That's ADP. Wow. Yeah. That's and like, you know, they were, you know, so I was in the uh, sales, uh, uh, sales group here locally in, in LA. So I moved out from New York in upstate New York to LA for the job. And, um, it was very, it was very different. It was nice to have like support of a, of a large, uh, company. Um, and, um, you know, being exposed to all different types of businesses was exciting because that's something that, you know, I always had like some kind of like a, an interest in that, um, growing up. It's like, how do these things work? How, and particularly, you know, um, in sales and, and in business, like how does that business work? And then how does it work in terms of psychology for getting people to do something? Um, you know, in this case, like do, you know, uh, doing their own thing to, buying your product or using your product, you know?
So, so would you say then, if I'm getting this right, then as a, a payroll sales rep, essentially like doing mm-hmm. corporate sales for ADP, you got exposed to a lot of different businesses, business models, and you were very curious about how these different businesses ran, became who they were. Um, what were you able to pick up or learn or, or sort out as a result of the exposure to all these different businesses in relationship to sort of what you've moved into later and what you're starting to do today? Well, the, uh, what I, one of the biggest things I found is that, I mean, there's no, there is no and all be all formula to any company's success. There really isn't. I mean, like it's, you know, you look at it in terms of uh, a balance sheet. Yeah, sure. That's, there's a, there's this is either black or white. That's it. But in terms of like, Hey, what are the steps uh, that have to uh, go into play? What kind of business? What's the revenue model? What uh, type of people you need in there? What's the type of team you have in there? I mean, these people are all over the place. I mean, this is from like mom, mom and pop companies that we go to talk to, to like huge, huge, like, yeah. you, know, you, you know, their name, you know, they go in there and it's, it's still the same, same kind of a, kind of a thing where it's um, what, and what I learned from that is that there's no limitation, quite frankly, to um, if you want to succeed, there's a way for you to, to do it. Now, regardless of your circumstances or the resources that you have at, dis- at your disposal. I mean, I remember like one of the big, that uh, one of the big, that's a really good one. If you want to succeed, <laughs> well, there's always a way for you to do it. Yeah. And one of the big things, uh, I, one of the ways I found that was that, um, like I start, uh, within a couple of years of me starting there is that, um, the, uh, the dot com uh, wave hit. So right. going into these even smaller companies, but, um, just the, uh, you're, you're, you're making money doing what, you know, and are you understanding that? And they say, no, 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 I'm not actually making (laughs) money doing it. Exactly. (laughs) But we're going with the caveat that they weren't necessarily making money, but like they're getting money (laughs) in. And so many of those companies had gone defunct very soon after I went to see them. Oh my God. But even uh, just, just, you know, getting exposure to that was a lesson in that, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, there's no, again, there's, there's no hard and fast rule book for, for business, you know? I mean, that, that, that was, that was a time when you couldn't explain why so much money was going into these little business. I mean, they're like running out of a, 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 an office, the size of a spare bedroom slash office I've got here, you know, and they they loved every second of it. You know, it was just like, so it was fun going to those companies because everyone was just so jacked. <laughs> I think uh, Harry Dent called it the roaring two thousands mm. and, and what a great title, right? For the, for the early, you know, late nineties, early 2000, it was very, he, he equated it very similar to the twenties to mm. the 1920s, you know, cause we call it the roaring twenties and the optimism, nothing's going to change. Everything's a new opportunity. It's all, you know, it's grit. We got to claw and scratch and figure it out, but it's so worth it because look what we're going to create. And then 2001 March hits and everything changes. Yep. Did you stay in, uh, with ADP in that industry or kind of tell me about the evolution of going from corporate sales, moving yourself into kind of what you're doing now? I, uh, well, I, I didn't, I stayed at ADP for, for, uh, a little bit past the, 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 uh, dot-com crash. And then I ended up going to a competitor over there doing a very similar thing, but instead of doing it locally, uh, so instead of just staying in Southern California as my territory, I was nationwide. So I, I was part of a nationwide, um, sales team for, uh, for competitor. Um, 
And uh, that was interesting in that because it was nationwide, I had to do a lot of traveling, which when you're, when you're single with no kids, that's, that's one thing. Sure. Then, then though, it's, I still got burnt out pretty quickly. And um, yeah, that's just, it just wasn't, um, this just wasn't something I wanted to continue doing in terms of travel. But at the same time, I really had this, this bug in me, even, even this whole time, even when I was in ADP, even you know, back in college, like, I want to do my own thing. I want something, you know, that I can just uh, have that freedom. You know, uh, I wouldn't ha- have to like put it through the, uh, the higher ups or get approvals and that type of stuff. I just wanted to be able to, to be able to turn on a dime if I wanted to and implement uh, any idea that I had. So it was something I was always still leaning towards anyway. So, so when did you first go out and start your something for yourself, something that was your own thing, looking for that freedom, as you said? Uh, well, I had something, always like kind of some side hustle going through, even when I was in, in corporate. Um, I mentioned like doing affiliate sales back, uh, back then. And that was kind of in, in tandem with, with me uh, in, at ADP. And um, that was an interesting one in that I got that through uh, a radio ad on a care. I don't know if I could mention this to you before. No. Yeah. It was, um, I don't know if there are any kids listening to this one, but I'll keep it clean. So I listened to K-Rock and uh, they, a big radio station here, alternative music in Southern California. And uh, the commercial came on. Um, actually, it was, it was, they were actually interviewing this guy. It wasn't commercial. Um, and he had this uh, line, he said, um, and I'm listening as I'm on my commute, uh, get paid to look at porn. And oh. I said, I said, what? <laughs> Young 20 something year old, you know, it's like, okay, what, what does he mean by that? Turned out that um, he uh, was teaching people how to make money by promoting these adult websites. So if you post a link or something somewhere, um, it's like a tiny classified ad, <laughs> like, right? So this, this was way back then when like you're really going after affiliate marketing and backlinks and, and all right, that trying I mean, to get SEO moving through their websites all by having organic people putting now there's bots for that. Yeah. 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 Way back in the, in the old days. Right. But you know what? I said, okay, let me try it. So I, I went through the course. I did it. I made a few hundred bucks. I couldn't believe I was making money off of this. <laughs> oh thing. my gosh. Me. And so that's my story now. Part He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I started off my career in porn, you know, but, um, but that, uh, showed me like, oh my gosh, it's possible. Right. I mean, I didn't make millions off it, but I'm like, wow, that's something that is possible, particularly on something that really, I didn't have that much involvement with. I didn't have to shoot these pictures. I didn't have to like set up these websites or anything. I was just like, very, yeah, <laughs> it was very simple. Um, so that was, um, that was one thing, um, that I did, but so that kind of got me on the marketing bit, like, you know, in particular online marketing where it stopped being kind of like what the guy said is it stopped being porn. I was not, I wasn't looking at porn anymore. It was like, how do I crop this so that I can get more clicks? Right. So you started, you started looking through the content and looking for what's the structure, what's the the psychology, what's the click through rates, what's the, what thumbnails are in all that kind of stuff. What copy, what, how, what's the headline, all that. What's the little thing that I can change to make improvements, you know? So, yeah. So terrible question, but then <laughs> coming from that industry, did you find that most of what you started picking up on the nuance and the structure would translate to other content? 
Oh, so absolutely. If I, was, if I was selling toasters, most of everything that you picked up that would get extra clicks or whatnot, a lot of that thought process would translate then, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd always been fascinated with, with infomercials, even just growing up, as long as I could remember. I, mean, I was too. You know, just watching them, not only, uh, I mean, a lot of it was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. But then I started asking myself, well, what's making me watch this at 2 a.m.? You know, and what's making me of, not change the channel? Absolutely. And what's making me actually think, can I pick up the phone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And why I do mean, I have a Rocco electric food dehydrator right next to me? <laughs> yeah. With the it dilemmatic was, food slicer. I, I mean, I, dude, I got a lot of things. I mean, you know, that's, I got Tony Robbins from there. I got- Did uh, you really? Yeah, I got the Book of Mormon through there. I got a lot of stuff through infomercials, man. Wow. Yeah, so I, I was very open-minded to a lot of that stuff, but it's still, and, and also fascinated with what makes people literally, in this case, click, you know? So that was something that, um, you know, it just, it, it just kind of married my, my um, fascination with psychology and, uh, you know, human behavior with my uh, uh, fascination and love for technology too. So well, could I pick your brain for a second then on this? Sure. So okay. I, I wasn't sure if we we're going to go into here or not. This is perfect. <laughs> okay. So, so talking about like the online marketing psychology, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people listening are going to be like a lot of us are do, trying to get into whether we're marketing our offline products and services online Right. Mm -hmm. So trying to get, you know, a lead magnet or, you know, setting up funnels and, and getting clicks and, and all the different ways that nowadays we're trying to do that. Ultimately, we're trying to get people to funnel through and buy our programs, products and services in the coaching industry in the speaking industry in the expert space. Um, certainly people are listening from all different business backgrounds, but I would say the largest piece of the pie are going to be people who are coaches, practitioners, speakers, mm. authors, people like that. Um, what are like, do you have, I don't know, maybe it's a hack, maybe it's an idea. You could talk about anything you want right now. Um, you could talk about headlines. You could talk about email copy, um, click rates, anything at all that might help some of us people who aren't very prominent in the online marketing space. Mm. Where do I want to start or what's a tip or anything at all? What comes to mind? God, man. I mean, just, here, 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 I think this is the thing that served me the most, probably, um, just personally in, in the last couple of years, and it's been this. A lot, I found like a lot of my questions, especially when I'm looking, you know, for advice from other coaches and you know, uh, books to read and courses, is that you know, trying to, trying to build myself up, right? What can, how can I make myself stand out a bit more, be look more palatable, and kind of the umbrella for that you know, a lot of my, the questions and things I was looking for was um, fixing something about myself because I was self-conscious, right? It was, it was kind of like, I was looking, I was thinking about myself and okay, I've got to fix this about myself. I've got to change this about myself. I've got to uh, re, re, uh, rebrand myself in some way, reposition. And that's, harder than what you really need to do, which I think uh, has served me, at least I've found, if I change it from thinking about myself to thinking about serving, you know, um, if I could serve some, if I thought about serving other people and serving them the best, best way that I can to a point where you're not even thinking about who's getting the better end of the deal, you're just like, hey, this is just what I do. I just serve. Um, that has been the biggest, say, you know, call it a hack that, that I found that has worked the, the best. Something you said in there stuck. What I love so much about that, Philip, was you 
because I've, I've heard certainly someone say, oh, you know, it's through serving and taking care of people. And I feel like it almost can become white noise mm. in a way, right? Where it's like, oh, of course you're supposed to take care of people, at least in my industry, right? Everyone yeah. talks about making an impact and taking care of people. But you said, um, like you disappear. I'm trying to remember the words you used. Um, it was so great though. You said like, it's almost like you don't care who gets the better end of the deal. Right. Right. That was really cool. So if you're serving so much that you go, okay, forget about what I need out of this. Forget about who's made, you know, forget about that for a minute. What does this person need? Mm-hmm. How can I take care of them? How can I give this person what they need, their value? How can I serve this person and then work it out of the back end? Like how, to what extent do you live by that? Or do you do that in business? Because on one side, I think we have this like, you know, what are our metrics and, and tracking conversion rates and, and ad spend and everything else we're doing. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I love the psychology of saying, hey, I don't even care. I just want to make sure that I'm really genuinely serving someone. And then what? How far do you go from one to the other? Well, I think, you know, you have to set boundaries for yourself. I mean, like, like I have, uh, like, uh, I have uh, folks that I'm working with right now that, um, I just want them to succeed so badly, you know, but I, I, and I'm saying, Hey, listen, let's, let's do this. But ultimately I can't do it for free. That's just the bottom line. I mean, I have to understand like what my limitations are for helping them. Sure. Like, I mean, one is like, you know, just me being there, uh, it doesn't give them enough skin in the game so that it'll in, increase our chances for success. I can't just be me doing the thing. Right. So they have to have some uh, buy-in. They have to have uh, it in there as well. But I think uh, ultimately it's like, you know, where you stop is that you just got to come down to like, you know, I don't know, man, sometimes that's hard. That's a, there's some hard, it's difficult for me to, to say that this is, these are the times when I say, okay, I'm only going to cut, I'm going to cut this conversation off. And even in my head, not even telling them that in 15 minutes or whatever, you know, because sometimes like I'm like I'm on a roll and like we're jibing and everything and we just go. And at the end of it, it's like, you know, I just know if I have something afterwards, that's probably the easiest thing, quite frankly. I know that I have to pick up my girls from school. So I got to cut this off and whatever, right? So I'm going to give them as much as I can. That kind of makes it a little bit easier. Maybe it's a cop out. I don't know. But I think for me, it, it, it definitely helps me in like kind of kind of stopping. Because I at the same time, I don't want to, I want to help them, but I don't want to there comes a point where if I want to keep on talk, if I keep on talking, it's going to be more about me than about them. Right. Let me give them more. Let me let, you know, whatever. And like they, they can't use anymore. And are you talking about like in a coaching scenario or a sales scenario? A lot of it's coaching, quite frankly, man. Like whether you're you're in direct sales or whether you're, you know, you actually, that's your product is you coaching somebody. There's only, um, there's only uh, so much that you can give that's still going to, uh, and then beyond that, the value to them is no longer going to be there, right? Because let's say they only need one idea and you give them 10. Well, at some point between one and 10, it stops being about them. And so about, uh, it's about you. Does that make sense? It does. I I relate to that a lot, actually. Mm. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking one of the things that I struggled with a lot, especially earlier on in my coaching career would be inside I don't want to have someone feel like I'm trying to sell them or have mm. someone feel like I'm not going to give enough value up front. So I would meet someone or have a, a quote unquote, you know, free strategy session. And so I have this conversation with them and rather than having a succinct, like focused 30 minute talk, 
where we go, well, let's find out what you're going through. Let's see what the obstacles are. Let's see what you need to get. Hey, I think I could help you. And these are the resources I have, right? It's a very simple sales conversation. Rather than doing that, I would try to fix their problems. And I would yeah. go, oh, you could do, you know, here's an idea. You could do this. And, you, and I was like trying to fire hose value at them yeah. basically to prove to myself mm. that it was okay that I could sell them or offer them something. And the truth is, like you said, you said it perfectly. They only need one good idea. So mm. I could have said, hey, here's this idea. Um, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff I help people do. Do you want to mm -hmm. work together? And I'll help you implement this idea and get all the other ones you need. But that always felt so salesy to me, even though it's mm. exactly what they need. Mm. They don't need 10 ideas because they're going to go, oh, let me get a journal. And I've had a lot of people over the years, let me get a notepad. And they start writing all these things down. And right yeah. then I'm like, my 75K clients a year, those are the people who when they write down all my 10 ideas, they actually implement each one of them. Mm. because we have that relationship where they're so in and I'm so in that whatever, if I say the, they're going to write the, and they're going to implement the, right? Yeah, right. But the person I meet at the conference in the lobby, they have no, we don't have that kind of relationship equity and they have no idea. And I'm not speaking of a place of pride or ego, but they don't know who they're talking to. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't know what I have yet, just like they don't know what you have yet and so forth. Yeah. Um, so I think that was really, really cool. Have you been doing martial arts your whole life or is that something you got into later in life? And if so, at what point? It was very late. Uh, it was actually after I got here to, uh, uh, to SoCal and it started when I was, um, when I was 22. So yeah, no 22. yellow belt Taekwondo at seven years old after your no. ice cream? No, 22, 23. <laughs> so I started very late. I always had, um, you know, I, 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 up to that point, it was like, Bruce Lee movies, Kung Fu movies, Ninja movies, and that kind of tided me over. That was enough. Um, and it wasn't until I was on my own that I was like, you know what? I had this. I, it's funny because I, I, I think it's probably one of my, after like, uh, you know, a, a late night listen to a Tony Robbins CD or something like that, you know, doing his goal, goal, uh, uh, goals workshop or whatever. So like I remember having a yellow pad. And I just wrote down all the stuff that I wanted. And I was assigning the years and everything to them. And one of those things, I think probably right after like, you know, learning how to play the piano, which I haven't done yet, but it was get a black belt, you know? And um, I think within, you know, within like just a few months of writing that down, I started my, my karate classes uh, probably very soon after that. So um, it's just that, you know, I, now I saw it as, as something that was possible. There was a place that's down the street. I was actually at the, at the Y. And at the Y. At the, is that the Y? Wow. The Burbank I Y. That was, I thought that was only for uh, swimming and after school. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there's every, no, I've, I've actually yeah. done consulting for the Y there. When I went in there for the first time, I, I, I always thought it was just, you know, the pool that you, the kids swim at in the inner city. And I realized that they have everything. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. darn amazing. Uh, and it's, it's the fourth largest nonprofit in the U.S. I didn't know that oh, either. Did not know yeah. that. They, they do a lot of good work, man. A lot of free childcare when you go to work out. There's all sorts of things for parents. So check out the why, a little cheap plug. Actually, I'm not even involved <laughs> with them anymore, but nonetheless, so you go to the why and you go to karate classes there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, and it was, uh, my first time ever, like in, in that kind of environment It's very traditional. Um, you know, we had our, 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 our geese and, you know, we bow and, uh, we, we counted in Japanese. We, we spoke, you know, we talked about the different techniques in Japanese. I mean, we had the Japanese name, right? So I had to learn how to do, how to pronounce things properly and, and all of this. It was, uh, it was really fascinating. And, the, and then, you know what? Not a Japanese person amongst us. 
<laughs> none of them. None of them at all. Did you stay with karate or did you do different uh, disciplines? No, I stuck with that. I pretty much drank the Kool-Aid of the place that I was at. Uh, very traditional. It was a, a Japanese style that was, um, was very popular. It was one of the most popular uh, version of karate, mm-hmm. flavor of karate in, 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 uh, in Japan. It's called Kyokushin. Uh, uh, not a lot of places here. And I think the reason for that is because it's, um, and I didn't, it didn't, it didn't uh, click to me when he told me my first day, he said that, yeah, so, you know, we do this and that and we're full contact uh, style and you know, we do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what was that? What was the middle part? <laughs> what was the middle part of there? <laughs> you know, but um, so that meant we hit each other very, very hard. <laughs> So even the beginning, so like, that, and that's one of the things that, and maybe we'll talk about it on your podcast as well at one point. Yeah. So I got into jujitsu around 26 years old mm-hmm. and that was my first martial art. You know, if you call it a martial art. And one of the things I liked about it was it wasn't MMA, right? Although we did that sometimes, but it wasn't the, the contact um, MMA style, the kicking and the punching, but it was just the jujitsu and the grappling and the judo. Mm-hmm. But I liked that it was all contact and it was all moves. And in my mind, I don't know anything about this, so please don't judge me, everyone. But in my mind, I put like karate and taekwondo, like all kind of together. And I saw, but mostly I think it was taekwondo that I watched. That was the thing where it was a lot of forms and a lot of here's how you do this kick and here's how you do this. And hopefully if someone's standing in front of you, it'll work. (laughs) So in my mind, just like not having ever experienced these other ones, I just thought, oh, that stuff doesn't make any sense. I want to do this new thing you know, that's taken over the, the MMA world by storm. Uh, what, so did you know that it was like, when you said full contact, how full contact are you like wearing protective stuff and, and are you hitting, like, is it a full on thing or are you pulling punches? Like, how does this yeah. work? We didn't, uh, we didn't punch to the face, but everything else was pretty much there in terms of striking. We didn't do a bunch of takedowns or anything like that. But um, kicks, uh, kicks to the leg, low kicks, head kicks were allowed. Um, and some people, wow. it, it came down to the person, right? It was like how controlled they were and whatever. I mean, I, I definitely got in my beatings. But, you know, as a... As a um, definitely got my beatings. As a, uh, a guy in mid-20s, you know, I'd never gone through that kind of experience before even growing up. I mean, I kind of wore my bruises uh, like a like a badge, you know, like oh, a badge of honor. Hey, I go to work. I'm like, oh, look at all the look at all these scuffs on my knuckles and all this and that. You know, I'm going on sales calls. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And I was like, what? What? This is just the way. And, and it's you know, Fight Club. What's up? Lower. Uh, you know, I didn't have uh, probably didn't have the self esteem or the confidence I that I have now back then. So that was just kind of a thing where it was like, okay, let me just show it off and show how tough I am. Kind of. Some people get tattoos. I got big yellow and purple bruises all up and down my legs. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So but today, I mean, so today now you're doing, you started the everyday fighter podcast, Yeah. which is certainly, I understand it's not just, it's not about fighting, but it's about being an everyday fighter in life. So before we quite get to the podcast, I want to talk about, advice for martial arts or fighting or, or contact sports in general. Um, Mm. If you have kids, like, would you want your daughters, what would you want them to do? Or what do you have them do if anything, when it comes to martial arts or, um, or that kind of uh, space? Uh, For my, my girls, they have to do it. There's no, (laughs) there's no, there's no choice for them. They have to do it. I like to do it. Yeah. They have to do it. It's like, you know, I, 
I'm not a very religious uh, kind of guy. I mean, more spiritual than anything, but we don't go to a church like, uh, you know, every week or, you know, anything like that. Um, so I tell them, it's like, you know, some people go to church, you go to the dojo. Some people go to both, right? But definitely you go to the dojo. <laughs> that's that's um, happening for everyone. And, and is it all the same karate dojo? Everyone's doing the same thing? Or is it, because I, I, I thought when I'm thinking about my son, I think mm-hmm. my take is this. I don't care what art you do, but you mm-hmm. should probably do some kind of an art, right? Try painting, try drawing, try sculpture, try something. Cause I never really tried a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I don't care what music you do. You could play guitar. You could do drumming. You could play the kazoo. You could take singing lessons, but try something that's music. And yes. then I want to also do something that is uh, a martial art of some kind. Right. Yeah. So you yeah. could pick it. I just know that I want, you know, the, the sport, the discipline, the conditioning, the respect, like all of that, I think is so valuable. Yes. Um, so it's interesting. So you, you think all four of the girls can and should and will do something. They will. As long as they're living with us, they're doing something. Um, <laughs> I love yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, that's just the way it goes, man. Yeah, I mean, man. like, you know, You're before, like, room. I used to think, like, oh, you know, I, I used to have this fear of, like, oh, I might be, I might push them too much in one direction or another. I wanted to be, like, you know, I wanted to be that that perfect dad, whatever the hell that meant, right? Right. And I, uh, one of my clients, remember, he, like, he, he's, he was an older guy. He had already, like, you know, two girls um, that were in the business with him. And, he's, and I told him exactly that. And he said, you know what? You're going to push them anyway whether you like it or not. I mean, that's just the way it is. So might as well push them into something that you, you know, just don't be afraid of that bottom line. You know, it's something that you know is, is going to be, um, it's safe. And we're talking in terms of like, um, in terms of um, like career path and that type of thing. But, I'm, you know, definitely applies to this as well. It's like, you're going to push them and, you know, it, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And I, and I, I took that again for somebody that's, uh, you know, was in a, had a lot more experience in fathering than I had. And I was like, wow, that's, I, I'll, I will take that. I will take I, it. I, I'd almost say, my wife and I talk about this often, like what the different roles are and, you know, with, with a, a mother and a father. Mm. And, and I realize this conversation has gotten very complicated with, you know, different family styles and so forth. So I don't mean any disrespect to anyone listening out there, but my take, my thought is like, for me and my family as a father, a lot of my role is to push him out of the nest, mm. to, to push him further than he wants to, to push him out of a comfort zone to do those new things, to fly faster. Mm. But then also part of mom's role is to keep him safe and protect and say, no, you can stay a little longer if you need. Mm. And I don't think either one is, is bad, but I think if they go untempered, then it could be, you know, then, hey, that's way too pushy and now I'm going to rebel or that's way too soft and coddled, right? And that's not good either. But I think with the two, two balancing each other and mm. even a single parent, I believe you're a single parent listening. I believe if you focus on both those sides where there's certainly context and times when you need to kind of allow your kid to hold back and say, hey, you don't have to go do that thing just because everybody wants you to, you know? Mm. You can choose yourself. You can wait till next week. You can stay safe. It's okay. Yeah. But then you also need to take on that other role and that other energy of being able to, when the time's right, to push and push them out out of the comfort zone. So yeah. I wonder, that's my take. Hmm. Do you agree, disagree? Do you have thoughts around kind of that, the roles that you and your wife play in relationship to what the kids do and, and how you want them to behave in, in situations? I don't think we've really thought or even talked about like kind of roles in, in, in that, that case. Um, 
you know, we, when, if, if it gets to a point where one of us is uncomfortable with, with the way it's going with, with the girls, you know, say like, you know, me pushing them, you know, a certain way too much, then she's going to speak up, you know, and I'm going to listen because that's just the way it, what husbands and wives do. <laughs> you know? Amen. Amen. Yeah. But there are times when like, you know, that I, I feel like I've got to push as well. You know, it's like where she feels that like it's a little bit too much. So, you know, definitely there's, it, there's, there's a balancing act in there. And then ultimately, you know, there are times that I just got to think, um, what am I really doing this for? You know, what was the real purpose of, you know, this activity or that activity or them being in this tournament or, or whatever, you know, was I, was it, uh, was it something to try and reinforce a value that I want to instill in them? Or was it because I was just upset about something and then, okay, you got to do this. No, wow. So, so was it about me group. or was it about them? Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that comes into play a lot for me, quite frankly. It's like, right. you know, I, I can't, uh, it's just having that self-awareness of like, you know what, um, think about how long you want to stay on this track, right? Because ultimately, if you see in the distance, the, the track runs into a brick wall. Well, you can't just stay on the track, <laughs> you know, but some people still choose to do that. Certainly. Right. Certainly. Oh, that's cool. What, what a good perspective too. Um, when you, when you created then going, coming from that martial arts background and, and how long you've been doing that for, you've certainly seen uh, lessons and metaphors in life in relationship to fighting martial arts and so forth. Mm. What was the thought process? What was the first inkling that you'd be at one point doing this everyday fighter project? God, man, it was, um, I don't know. I think it just it struck me like it maybe a year, year and a half ago. Like I, I changed. I, I, I stopped uh, going to the dojo that I was at at the Y. Uh, I got my brown belt, but then, you know, I just couldn't continue because we moved and we had kids and all that type of stuff. Um, ultimately, I found the place that where I am now and I've been for the last uh, five years. And they do, you know, they're very stru uh, structured very, very differently, but still has, they have the feeling of, for me, is home. A uh, place that I can... Um, I can respect the people that are there and I can, I can grow as, as well. And then that's what I told them uh, when I first started there. I say, I'm looking for a home, um, you know, so that I can continue my training and then, you know, uh, be able to, to help others as well. So I think the thing that I learned the most, uh, you know, is, uh, is that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different uh, styles to be able to get to, to your home and what's, what's, uh, what's important uh, to you. I think it wasn't until um, I really felt like I was able to contribute to where I am right now that I kind of got the more of the, the willingness to create something like Everyday Fighter. Like I was contributing enough. I had enough skill, not just a skill, but just like, you know, a, a feeling of self-confidence and a feeling that I did actually have something of value to, to provide uh, to, to people outside of my, my dojo that I said, I think I can, I can do something like, like Everyday Fighter. So, so what's the concept behind Everyday Fighter? Tell us a little bit more about what it is. Because I, I think it's cool, and I, we've had talks about this, but I'd love to kind of have you explain it from the ground up. Yeah, it's the, the, the concept really is that it's, um, it's, it's rooted around fighting arts, the fight world, uh, people that are in there. But um, even though people can, uh, can you know, mostly you, you talk about people like they're fighters if they're on the ring or on the mat. We all have our own fights outside as well in our everyday lives. And I think that's one of the things that really uh, I want to get across with it is that you don't have to be a professional celebrity fighter or champion 
to uh, to consider yourself a fighter and somebody that can can make a difference in somebody else's life. So part of the my uh, part of my uh, the everyday fighters that there's a podcast where I interview everyday fighters, people you have no idea who they are. You have no idea who they are. They're they're like the person next door, like literally, you know. And um, I, I just ask for their story. You know, what it, was your journey uh, into martial arts, and you know, what did you learn from it? You know, how have you uh, brought some of that outside into your everyday life? And they just tell their story, and it's just been amazing. It's just been amazing. I talked to this lady. She started she started boxing when she was fifty years old. Wow, fifty years old. She's a master's boxer now. Guess what her record is? And she's been doing it for the past four, four to five years. One and eight. So if you're not familiar with the, the, the order there, it's one win, eight losses. And to talk to her, you'd think she was a champion. Talk to her, you'd think that she had like so many belts because she's so excited about it. Wow. And I'm like, this is what people need to be hearing. People right. that are just like me, you know, my mother, you know. Or, or, or my aunts or whatever, 50 more or more years old, right? Telling themselves, I can't do it, can't do it, right? This is, I'm too old or I'm like too overweight. This lady, this particular lady, she was over 300 pounds over like um, over a uh, two-year period. She got down to 160. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. But, I mean, yeah, she, she wouldn't call herself feel- special, you know? She just uh, made a massive change and fought for her life, literally. Yeah, but I mean, but she is like, and she wouldn't necessarily call herself anybody special either. Um, I talked to another uh, one of my uh, friends. He's a, a veteran, uh, not only in the military, but for uh, his style of martial arts, kung fu. He's a sifu. He's been. He's had a, 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 a his own school for thirty years. But I'm talking to him about his fight, his everyday fight, to even just to get to that point. He was scared out of his mind to open up the first do- uh, the door to his first dojo where he'd be a student. Not even opening up his own sco- school. It was just to open the door to start learning. I'm like there are people like that in the world that are so scared. Now, whether it's martial arts, I've heard of people that are like they're scared to go into a yoga studio. Yoga studio where, you know, presumably these are people that are very, like they're very secure in themselves and they'll open welcome arms. It's like, you know, very nice environment. They don't, they, they don't, they feel like they can't even go into that environment. So, so, what, so what, what's advice you have for someone who wants to step up and they, cause I love the idea of identifying as an everyday fighter, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. I want, but what does it mean to be an everyday fighter versus, I don't know, what's the alternative? The alternative, I think, is that um, you just don't realize it. I think everyone is. They just don't realize it or they don't embrace it. I think that's the, the biggest thing that I'm, I'm trying to get across from that is that if you can even, – even the, the biggest pacifists can identify with the uh, concept of – if you tell them, gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm fighting with my wife right now. I'm fighting with my, my, my boss. You know? It's not a literal fight. But sure. it feels like a fight. You know, we all know about fight and flight, right? It's, it's innate in us, biology. But so for so long, I think that's been kind of people try to push that away. Oh, that's uncivilized. That is not something that is uh, is proper in our modern world, particularly in terms of like fighting. I don't agree with that. I think it's in us. That's why we can relate to the to this that type of language when people talk about it. So I think the first thing is that if you feel that's in you. If you feel that ever, if you've ever felt like, oh, I just want to hit something, yes. you know, you're not even a violent person. If you feel that way, 
it's in you. You're an everyday fighter. Now, just because you don't do it in the ring, just because you're not on the mat, just because you don't wear a uniform or a belt or pajamas or anything like that, it doesn't take away from the fact that you are because you can feel it. You're, you're going, things that you're going through feel like a battle. If you're running a marathon, sometimes that feels like a battle, you know? If it doesn't feel like you're winning or losing the battle, but it's got to like, it feels like, you know what? I am going after something. Yes. Do you relate more to going against something or going after something? I think it just depends on what it is, man. For me, um, I think, uh, like, can you be, can you, could that could both be true or either, or in a situation like, could you, I say, you know, I'm an everyday fighter cause I'm going against this thing. Oh Versus yeah. I'm an everyday fighter. I'm going after this dream. Like, well, I think that's you know, my dream. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, th- that's the question he asked. It's like, you know, um, what are you, what are you fighting for? What are you fighting against? Both of those things don't necessarily, they don't have to be mutually, uh, exclusive. Right. It could be such also that you start off with fighting against something. Let's say, for example, somebody that is they're fighting against their own addiction, right? Alcohol, drugs, whatever. I'm fighting. I'm counting the days. I'm counting the days of like since I've had my last relapse or whatever. They're fighting to push that away as opposed to I am fighting for my health. I'm fighting for my uh you know, my relationships, great relationships with my family, fighting with, uh, yeah. you, know, getting, you know, for my own self-esteem. Um, I'm going towards a longer, you know, fun um, and uh, enjoyable life, right? So they could start off that way where they're fighting and they're, and they're collecting. And Hey, listen, I got nothing against any of that stuff, right? Get Whatever it takes to get you to where you need to go, do it. I think a lot of times, uh, there's so, for some people though, it get, it'll get to a point where they're tired of fighting against that. And they're like, now I want to fight towards something else. They stop counting how long they've been sober. They stop, they stop, t- you know, getting the tokens and that type of thing. And man, I, I couldn't agree more. That feels exactly like, um, so some of the new book that, that I've released recently, the firebox principle, it's mm. about those seven drives that fuel us. And sometimes the drives change over time. Like someone starts a new company with the Avenger drive is what I call it. When it's mm. uh, for anger or revenge, they want to make, turn a wrong and make it right. Mm. Right. They're basically, it's an everyday fighter. They're fighting against something, mm. but oftentimes over the years, you can look back and say, well, I've kind of already changed the industry or those villains aren't really here anymore. Mm. I, I don't need to keep fighting this. Maybe we can turn and get a new towards a new reason to do this. Mm. And you tap into like a spiritual, spiritual drive or a world impact drive or contribution drive towards people. I mean, um, I've, I've actually had I that love- just, just in the everyday fighter alone. Like when I first started it, in all honesty, I, I, I started doing these, uh, these interviews of other people because it felt like just subconsciously it was, if I could share these people's stories that that gave me permission to share my own story. Right. So it was about me. Um, after I talked to a couple of people, one person in particular, it changed completely. And that's just within like the first two weeks of having the, the podcast and, and doing these types of interviews, it, it completely changed. And this particular woman, she, um, I, I put out I put out a call on on one of my Facebook. Um, I'm a member in a few different groups, and in one group, I, sa- I said, "Hey, um, I'd like if you if you have any experience in martial arts, I'd love to talk to you on my podcast. It's all brand new, or whatever." And um, she writes back in a comment. She's like, "You know, I did a couple of years of Taekwondo when I was younger. This sounds like fun." And then I was just I just wanted guess. I'm like, "Okay, let's go." So I put her on, and then uh, you know for a, you know a couple of weeks out. And as I was getting closer to that date, I was like, oh man, this, I don't know how this is going to go because what if she just got 
her yellow belt and she learned two katas. I mean, it's not going to be a very compelling conversation, <laughs> you know? And? And, well, I said, you know what? She, um, she was kind enough to, to help me out. Let me give her, you know, the same amount of respect. So I did the interview with her. Five minutes into the interview, she tells me how she was pretty much the center of a, a pedophile ring when she was younger. Like she was the victim. Uh, the main uh, the main victim there. Um, not only her family was involved with it, but like you know, people in authority in in uh, in her community. So she had no way out. She learned Taekwondo from her uncle, and within a year of learning that Taekwondo from you know uh, from him, not even getting belts or anything like that. There was no belt system with him, but just getting those skills, she um, she stopped it. She stopped it all. The whole thing fell fell apart. Oh my gosh! It was incredible to me. Wow! And, and it, yeah, and that episode is available. Is it that is available. Yeah, now? yeah. Jennifer Harshman, look for that one. Wow. Her name so is Jennifer we, Harshman. That's incredible. Where do we yeah. find out more? Tell me about where do I find out about Everyday Fighter? Obviously, check out the podcast. I'm sure it's all over the place on whatever yep. platforms. But plug your stuff, man. I, I want people to get to know you and find uh, find Everyday Fighter and, and anything else you're up to, Philip. Appreciate it, man. Well, yeah, uh, that's the best place to go is everydayfighter.me, M-E, and you'll find all the podcasts there. You'll find, um, you know, uh, yeah, everything there. Uh, everything that we're, we're doing, adding on to, to this movement, creating this movement, it's all going to be there. So um, I appreciate I appreciate you giving me time to, uh, to share that. Yeah, man. So everydayfighter.me, check it out um, and go subscribe and check out the Everyday Fighter podcast. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to definitely listen to at least that episode and more. Um, I'm just going to throw out a public declaration. If you'd like me to be on, I would love to. I would love to talk about uh, how, how we're fighting every day. Um, and certainly there's some martial arts back, uh, background, which would be fun. Just throw oh, yeah, it out man. there. Could I be on maybe? I'm, uh, you're, you're, you're in. Whatever you need, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, let's do right. it. Let's do it. But, hey, this is the most prestigious thing I've done yet. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm going to be on the Everyday Fighter podcast with Philip Lomboy. Philip, dude, thank you so much for the time and great catching up with you again in long form, buddy. It's, uh, it's really good to see your face. We're on Zoom together if you're not watching this, if you're listening to it. Um, so thanks again for coming on and I will catch up with you soon. My pleasure, brother. Peace. Hey, thanks again, uh, Philip, for coming out and being able to share with me and share with the audience some of your story. And I really appreciate, too, that, you know, on, on this show that we can just be as raw as possible. You know, it's like all of us have have a past, a present, and a future. And I think it's so important to – I really appreciated that, that Philip didn't – he didn't ignore anything in his past, good or bad. And he just shared, hey, this is what happened. This is what I went through. And here's what I made out of it. And again, I, I believe that we all need to be able to look at ourselves that way. Um, you know, there's things that I've done in my past, uh, whether it's, again, you know, in my family life and how I grew up or, um, you know, decisions I've made that, you know, maybe I'm not so proud of or I'm super proud of, but I don't have to live there. And I really appreciate, again, Philip shared, hey, you know, I, his different careers and his different places that he worked uh, and what he has done with that and how eventually, you know, it's all used for good. Uh, everything gets repurposed for good. So thanks again, Philip, for coming out. Sure appreciated uh, catching up with you, buddy. Looking forward to being on your show as well. I know we have that scheduled for later in the year. So be on the lookout for it. Make sure you follow Philip Lomboy. You can follow him at everydayfighter.me 
on Instagram, everydayfighter.me. His website is everydayfighter.me, and uh, it's a great website. You can also subscribe to the blog on there uh, and get released. You know, he puts out new episodes, great interviews, really, really good listen. I can't encourage you enough to check out Everyday Fighter. That's it for me this week. Hope you have an awesome, awesome holiday. We're uh, As this is being released fresh, this is holiday week, so get some time with your family. Maybe you're having some downtime. Maybe you have an eggnog uh, what do we call it? A little eggnog coma and, or a, a coconut nog or a soy nog. I don't know what you drink. We have coconut nog in the house, but I hope you enjoy that. And you're listening to some more of these shows. We're coming up close on episode 100. So get ready for it. We got on Tuesday, we'll have more, uh, su- surprise. What am I looking for? Surprise. See, I'm in an eggnog coma. My goodness. Announcements. So <laughs> surprise announcements. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Matt Browning to get the updates on what's going on there. I also put on some crazy cool photos lately of me when I visited Times Square in New York City to speak at NASDAQ in the NASDAQ building, and they put my face up on the 75-foot Jumbotron, as well as that evening I spoke at a uh, anniversary dinner at the Harvard Club of New York City. That was really cool. Uh, so if you want to see some of those pictures, uh, check out Instagram, and then we'll put up again you know, more podcasts and more announcements for what's coming in the new year. Have an awesome week. Get out there as usual, and this time don't crush it. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your time with your family. Enjoy your time recharging. And let's get out there and get ready to crush a new year.